With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. See if you can And see if you can mute. If she can't mute, perhaps I. Can you mute, though? Testing, testing, one, two. Can you hear me? Okay. Lord, I just ask for divine intervention because, uh, there's a demon working, and we're going to bind and rebuke that demon in the name of Jesus because we know God is stronger than any demon force, and the demon, uh, oh, boy, poor Anne. All right, we're going to pray for her, too. This is not a pretty scene. Let's go to conference call. How do I do that? this. Wow. Mm, people go, you know, this TI program is a very sick program, got sick people, and we're just going to continue to know that God sees all, knows all, and one thing we do know is that the devil could never, ever uh, be stronger than God. And we know that the the only power over evil is the power of God, is the power of righteousness. So we just thank God for the privilege of prayer. We thank God for the ability to pray. The Bible says pray for your enemies, people that are hurting you, people that are turning on you, that you're good. In fact, the Bible says he'll make your enemies your footstool. So you don't have to worry about your enemies. Their time will come. Everything is according to God's will. And what we can stand on is that the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So all we have to do is continue to walk with God, be the best person we could be, continue to keep positive information in your airways, in your life, and that way you can stand tall. The Bible says when things are turning upside down, you stand tall. You stand tall on God's word. You stand tall on righteousness. There's something about evil. It just can't stand around righteousness. So you can you can really uh, knock out a demon by keeping your faith, keeping strong. Tonight we're looking at the, we're going to start with the prayer closet, encouraging and equipping believers in prayer. We'll open up with prayer, and then we'll go right into the prayer of the righteous. God, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time that we can come together, God. We ask you, Heavenly Father, for our sister Anne, for you to cover her, God. God, we know that it, eugenics is a horrific thing. Uh, these hospitals have gotten into her body and, 
have not made her situation any better. But, God, we serve a living God, and the Word of God tells us the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Heavenly Father, give her the strength to continue to stand on your Word. Give her the strength, God. Give her the key. Give her the avenue, what to do, what vitamins to take, what medicines, what what shielding sources she needs to block off directed energy weapons or whatever demonic attacks are being plotted against the Heavenly Father. You know all. You see all. You, the Holy Spirit, can guide, lead, and protect us. And we're depending on you, God, to break, make a way for her, Heavenly Father. Holy Ghost, come into her life so that she can have the direction to make the right decisions, God, to get the proper shielding until these uh, horrific uh, eugenic uh, technologies are taken off of this earth, Heavenly Father. God, we thank you for including her, for having her to have the will and the want to continue to pray despite being in a horrific situation. She could sit in a pity pot croaking but she chose to come online and try to learn and try to pray and try to change things we know heavenly father all through history the effective fervent prayers of a righteous man avail as much and if you did it for other people in the past you'll do it again in the future in the present so god we thank you for giving her the want and the will to continue to pray bind up every demon trying to discourage her Bind up every demon trying to take her happiness and her joy away. Every evil demon trying to take happiness and joy. God, we bind that stuff up. We send that spirit back to the pit of hell that he came from. God, we thank you, God, that you're a God of favor, that you're a God of faithfulness, that you're a God of abundance. We thank you, God, that we know that this too shall pass. She will not be suffering forever. There's a time for everything. It will come to an end, Heavenly Father. Guide her direct to God, what to do, where to go. There's always remedy in God. God, we give you praise. We give you glory, Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, for all you've done, all you're going to do. We thank you, God, for the praying TI community. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for all praying targeted individuals that we know that our work will be the manifestation for future generations to benefit so that they will not have to go through this. God, we thank you that you've given us the education and the knowledge and the research tools to bring out this uh, program just like it was brought out in the past with the MK Ultra hearings, with the church hearings. God, we just thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing TIs together to see that not only is it a criminal program, the eugenics, the electromagnetic weapons, the psychotronic weapons, the psychological programming, the actual killing of human beings using criminal psychological operations. God, we just thank you that you've given us the knowledge to see what's going on and be able to expose it and to be able to overcome it in your time, that we can articulate our concerns effectively that we can align these crimes, Heavenly Father, with crimes that have against uh, crimes against humanity that must be taken off this earth. God, we thank you for giving us the attitude to keep moving forward despite all, to not be sitting there working with the devil, not advancing a secrecy program, not thinking about ourselves, putting our, our lives on the line, Heavenly Father. Like Dr. King said, until the person... Uh, decides that uh, he can live for for God and not for money or self. 
his life it will no longer be in vain. So we thank you, God, that we have this, this innermost feeling that we have to do things on this earth, God, to make this earth a better place. And we bind and rebuke every demon spirit trying to discourage, trying to stop, trying to advance evilness. Every demon spirit that's trying to attack God's people from doing the work that you created them to do, which we know could never happen. Because when God gives you an assignment, he gives you the tools to complete the assignment. So, God, we thank you. We thank you, God, for letting us see the deceptive demons, the deceptive spirit. Spirits of deception, people trying to turn and twist things. God, we thank you, God, that you've given us clarity of mind. We thank you, God, that you've given us the best book on the earth to be able to research and rely on. We thank you, God, for the Bible, the basic instructions before leaving earth. God, we thank you, Heavenly Father, that we're covered by the blood that no demon, no weapon can be formed against us that will prosper. No demon can take us off this earth before the time that you've put us here. Even if we don't like the things that are going on, we are still here with a chance to complete the assignment you put on our life, to meet the destiny that you created us for. God, we give you praise and glory for your sovereignty, for your protection, for your coverage, for the opportunity, the privilege of prayer, for the opportunity to live another day to meet the destiny we were created for. God, we thank you and we praise you. And we bind up, God, every demon spirit trying to hold God's people down, trying to turn them off track, trying to pit them against each other, trying to just devour and destroy because we come together to serve God. We know that you're a God of abundance and a God of greatness. God, we ask you for a special blessing on our sister and Heavenly Father, that you will, that the Holy Spirit will guide and direct her which way to go, what to do, because what is going on with her is very horrific, very similar to what's going on uh, with someone in my family, my nephew. And God, we pray that that demon in him comes out and that every attack that the, the medical system has put to advance those crimes, Heavenly Father, that you, Heavenly Father, will lead and direct him to handle his business so that his life can, can, can be according to your will. God, we thank you, God. We ask you, God, to bless every targeted individual here in, in, on, in the community that really can't answer what is going on. But one thing is consistent that according to the teachings on curses and blessings, that that TI program is a curse and it has to be broken. And we thank you, God, that it can be broken, that there's always remedy in God by walking righteously. righteously. We know that the demons will always be jealous and envious when, when we wake up, when we do the right thing, but we cannot concern ourselves with demons are doing. Harassment is minimal when God gives you good health. When you have your brain, your body, your control mechanisms, you control demons, oh, you're ahead of it. Harassment looks minimal. So, God, you know, we just we, we may not be in the perfect situation, but we give you praise and we give you glory because we're walking forward, and we know, God, that you have an abundant life for us. So bless all of the targeted individuals who are praying, who understand what's going on, and who are in this to not only help themselves, their family, their generation, but the, the future generations, Heavenly Father. 
We thank you and we praise you. And we thank you, God, that our sister Ann may be suffering now, but we know you have a ministry for her. You have work for her to do on this earth. You have a testimony. We know that she has to go through this test to give her testimony effectively so that she'll be very clear that it's God's grace and mercy. When she comes out of this, she will be able to testify and bring people into the kingdom of God to let them know where God brought her from and where she is now. God, we give you glory and praise for what you've done and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at the prayer closet, and then we're going to look at the TI program, the cursed program. But I wanted to start with the prayer of the prayers because that is what builds us up. And then because dealing with just uh, acknowledging that there's a government-funded satanic program taking out people on this earth uh, through hexes and curses, and that's a very deep subject. So we will get prayed up before we go into that, but we will go into that. So we'll start with the prayer closet, the prayer of the righteous, and we stand on this, this scripture. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God, we thank you, God, for this here. That clearly means that if you're living righteously, that your prayers avail much over you and your, 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 your inner circle, your being. We cannot take responsibility for other people's decisions, but we can pray for them. Things will change when they decide to change, but we can always keep our loved ones and people who may be going astray, we can always keep them in prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James 5.16. I'm sure you're familiar with this verse of Scripture. You've read it often. You may even have memorized it, yet this verse seems far from daily reality, especially concerning your prayer life and mine. I'm sure that, like me, you've been a little bit intimidated by this verse of Scripture. It is a powerful verse and amazing promise. But my prayers, that my prayers avail much, be a righteous man, it seems beyond me, out of my reach, I've often struggled with this verse and my prayer life. Maybe you have too. Maybe you're discouraged in your prayer life. You pray, but your praying doesn't seem to live up to what James 5.16 says. It doesn't live up to what it says. The prayers of a righteous man avail as much. You don't feel like your prayers avail much, yet God has given this promise. Oh, goodness, something happened here. Yet God has given this promise to his people. God gives it to us to encourage us and to motivate us to pray. It's important not to divorce this verse from its context. When you see it in its context, it speaks to every genuine believer. It offers a life of prayer beyond what we can imagine. James 5.17.18 says, Elijah was a man subject subject to like passions as we are, And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. 
God gave us the promise in James 5.16, and then he offers the example in James 5.17. He provides us with flesh and blood example of James 5.16. God shows us that we can pray with great power and effectiveness. This kind of praying is not beyond us. God gave us James 5.16 to deal with our discouragement and to strengthen our faith. In order to appropriate the promise of James 5.16, where it says the prayers of a righteous man avail as much, we need to see the following truths. These truths will help us to understand how the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The person. Hmm. James 5.17.18 refers to the praying of the prophet Elijah. James reminds us of the time when Elijah prayed for drought in Israel and then relief from that drought. Elijah prayed first for drought, and it did not rain in Israel for three years and six months. He then prayed for rain after the drought, and God sent abundant rain. As amazing as these events were, the focus of these verses is Elijah. These were miracles of God. However, perhaps the greatest miracle was God's use of Elijah. God used these prayers of Elijah to bring about miraculous works. Elijah prayed with power and effectiveness. You might be wondering, why was, why was that su such a great miracle? James writes, Elias, as a man subject to like passions as we are, Elijah was a common, ordinary man. He was not different from you and me. He was like you and me, a sinful man, saved by God's grace. He had his ups and downs in his relationship with God. He struggled to trust God. <clears throat> wow. He struggled to trust God. Wow. We often have a tendency to exalt biblical characters. We make them larger than life. Yet the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible certainly records and commends the faith and example of Bible characters. Yet it never hides their sins or their struggles. The Bible reveals that these characters, like Elijah, were just like you and me. They weren't super saints that, li that live above the daily realities of our own lives. They were flawed people who loved God and walked with God. God's purpose... God's purpose in recording this is to encourage you and me. He wants us to know that powerful and effective praying is not of, out of our reach. It's not just for super saints. These verses take away any excuses we would have for Elijah's success in prayer being because he was a special person or had some special power. He did not have that. But he continued to pray. He did not give up when the devil came after him. Elijah had the same nature we have, but he prayed powerfully and effectively. We can do the same. What kind of person do you have to be to pray with power and effectiveness? These verses lead us to see that we must possess certain characteristics. In order to be righteous and to see right, uh, to have prayers avail much, Number one, we must be righteous. How does one become righteous? We become righteous by believing God's promise of salvation through
through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. One must be accepted with God through faith in Jesus before you can pray with power and effectiveness. To come to the Father in effective prayer, you must first come to Jesus by faith, John 14:6. You must rejoice in the truth that God accepts you through his son. Ask God to help you rest in this and that his, this truth will fuel your praying before him. Number two, we must strive to be righteous. Our acceptance with God is based solely on the righteousness of Christ that we receive by faith in him. Yet, once we trust Christ, we seek to live a righteous life. We do this by confessing our sin and striving to obey God. We cannot expect God to hear and answer us if we're hard-headed. <laughs> That's the one. To hear and answer us if we're not striving to confess our sins. If we're stubborn, rebellious, it's just a waste almost. If we're not striving to confess our sins and live in a way pleasing to God, and whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight, 1 John 3.22. Pray that God will enable you to fulfill and plead for a life of obedience that honors God and unleashes answer to prayer. We must have confidence in God. Number three, we must have confidence in God. The Bible tells us that Elijah prayed fervently and earnestly. Why did he pray this way? He understood that only the Lord God of Israel could do what he asked. His sense of hopelessness motivated his fervent prayers. When do we pray with power and effectiveness? It takes place when we come to the end of ourselves. It happens when our confidence in God, in God alone, to answer and intervene. Plead with God to increase your confidence in him. Ask God to show you in scripture and in life the truth of his sovereign power. The passion. As stated above, Elijah prayed with fervency. His praying was passionate. The word of God tells us that he prayed earnestly. His praying was the passionate overflow of his heart. Elijah sought God. He was looking for God. He sought God with all his being. What motivated him to pray with such passion? First, his understanding of God moved him to pray earnestly. Elijah knew whom he was praying to. He knew that the Lord was the God of Israel and all nations. He knew that God has all power. He understood that the Lord could do the impossible. Elijah prayed earnestly because his faith was in God and not in his praying. Mm. Your understanding of God will determine your passion in prayer. The knowledge of God is at the heart of our praying. When we understand that God is sovereign and wise, it should drive us to seek him. For many of us, our God is too small. We doubt his power. We wonder about his ability. Yet we serve the great and almighty God. Pray accordingly. Second, the conditions around Elijah fueled his praying. For 60 years, Israel's leaders had wallowed in sin and led the people to do the same. In those 60 years, there was no attempt at reform. There was no revival. There was no attempt to stop the headlong plunge into the judgment of God. At the same time, two religions existed in Israel. 
One dominated and the other one looked like it was headed for extinction. The worship of Baal mm, dominated the nation. And that, that Baal is idolatry, worshiping idols, necklaces and rings and, and tables and, and statues. That's not of God. So there were two, and this is history, so there were two religions, one dominated and the other one looked like it was headed for extension. The worship of Baal dominated the nation. The worship of Jehovah, the Lord God, looked like it was on its last leg. Kind of like today, Christianity, they try to make it look like, ah, you Christian and you still the T.I. and blah, blah, blah. That's okay. That's okay because that's temporary. Nothing could be more opposite than these two religions. The conditions around Elijah fueled his praying. It should be the same with us. As we look around and see lost, wounded, hurting people, Okay, it should lead us to pray earnestly. As we see people denying God's word and will, it should break us and stir us to pray with all our hearts. As we see the church powerless and ineffective, it should quicken our seeking of God. We should ask God to give us a fresh vision of himself. Our prayer lives are determined by our knowledge and understanding of God. How we need a fresh vision of his greatness, sovereignty, wisdom, and holiness. Effectual, fervent prayer flows out of understanding who God is. Plead with God to open your eyes to who he is. Pray for him to touch your eyes and heart with a renewed understanding of who he is and what he can do. Have faith in God and not in your prayers. Too many times our faith is in the wrong place. We wonder if we've prayed right, if we have prayed hard enough or perhaps said the right things. We wonder if we have had enough faith for God to answer. Yet our faith is not to be in our praying and faith. It is to be in God, the Almighty, to whom we pray. Our focus must be on God and not our ability to pray. Elijah's faith was in God, not his ability to intercede or the amount of faith that he had. Pray that God will help us to rest our confidence in him and not in ourselves, not in our praying or our faith. Don't let the conditions around you overwhelm you. Seek God and rest in him. It would be easy to get overwhelmed as you look at conditions around you. The amount and depth of need around us is staggering. As we look at the national conditions, it can be disheartening. Yet this is why we must seek God. This is why we must run to him and rest beneath his throne. It is only as we run to him, we rest in him, and pour our hearts out to him that we can face and deal with the conditions around us. Passionate praying leads to courageous preaching. Because Elijah had spent time with the Lord God of Israel, he was able to boldly proclaim God's word, 1 Kings 17.1. Preaching must be saturated in prayer. The powerlessness of the pulpit can often be traced back to prayerlessness in private. If we would speak boldly to people, we must spend time with God. Prayerlessness takes away fervency and, fearful, and fearlessness in preaching. The president, you might be wondering... Why did Elijah pray that it would not rain? It does not seem like an unusual request, yet this prayer request is rooted in God's word. In Deuteronomy 11, 
16 to 17, God gave this ominous promise. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. And that means you start worshiping other gods, you start worshiping idols and and, and statues, necklaces, anything you're depending on for protection for this and that. That 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 right there is, is the you know Deuteronomy eleven sixteen seventeen tells us that that is not of God. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. And it's like once you know idolatry, you, you're starting to. When you start idolatry, worshiping idols and depending on, on things to give you protection to do things that God should do, you are then uh, allowing God's wrath to be kindled against you and to be shut up. And he shut up the heaven and thereto no rain and the land yield not her fruit, least ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth thee. You can compare this with Deuteronomy 28. 1524. Israel had for many years departed from the Lord God. They had forsaken him and worshipped other gods, particularly Baal. They had broken his commandments and wallowed in sin. Mm. Yet there was no drought. Elijah simply asked God to be true to his word. He called on God to keep his promise in Deuteronomy 11:28. His prayer would show that the word of the Lord was not null and void, but living and real. This may sound like a harsh way to pray. God answered his prayer. Israel experienced a severe famine. Why would God do such a thing? God did this for three reasons. One, to encourage repentance. The pain of chastisement is intended to show people how wicked their sin is and to lead them to repent. God sent drought to bring the people to repent. To expose Baal. Baal, being the god of fertility, was supposed to be especially strong in the area of rain and good crops. The longer the drought persisted, the more powerless Baal would be shown to be. Mm. And it was done to exalt Jehovah. God promised to send drought if the people turned to other gods, Deuteronomy 11 and 25. The drought would show that God is alive and his word is real. The drought and the corresponding release of rain in James 5.18 would show that God is the only true and living God. This gives us great insight into the praying of a righteous person. A righteous person prays according to God's word. Elijah is referred to as a righteous man. His praying was based on God's word. The prayer of a righteous man, the praying that avails much, has its foundation in the word of God. That means it has its foundation in the Bible. You don't make your own rules. You go look for scriptures and you say, God, your word says that I will be abundant. Look for all the scriptures on abundant. Ask God to enable you to pray according to his word. Plead with him to teach you how to pray the scripture, how to align what you want with scripture. A righteous person prays for God's work of conviction. Elijah acts for the drought in order to lead people to repentance. He asks God to act in order to show the people their sin and to drive them to repentance. 
That is how a righteous person prays. A righteous person hates sin and loves obedience. This is reflected in our praying. We ask God to use the rod of his judgment or chastisement. In other words, we pray that God will use whatever he must in order for people to see their sin and to repent of it. God's work of conviction is often carried out by striking a person or something that they have. It sounds harsh, but it is better for a lost person to suffer a little now than for all eternity. For a believer to suffer a little now than to be given over to the consequences of his or her sin and all its corresponding damage. A righteous person prays that God will expose the false gods of others. Elijah's prayer for drought was to show how useless and false Baal was. This is how a righteous person prays. We ask God to show others how useless and false their gods are. We plead that he would reveal to them that he would that he would reveal to them what happened to that page? He would reveal to them how reveal to them how worthless their gods are. We pray that he will tear down anything that has exalted itself against him in the lives of others. The righteous person prays that God would be exalted. Elijah's prayer focused on the exaltation of God in his word. He desired that the people see and know that God alone is true and that his word is real and powerful. This is how the righteous person prays. He prays for the exaltation of God and his word. When we pray for the salvation of others, it is primarily for his glory and the confirmation of his word. When we pray for healing, it is to show that God is and that his word can be trusted. Whatever the righteous person prays, it's always with a view for exalting God and honoring his word. So that just means... Even for T.I.s that are praying, end this program, stop the shakings, all of that stuff. Yeah, stop it, stop it. So you, you pray, that's not praying. You have to pray for God's will to be done. Stop. If I want the T.I. program to stop God so I can serve you better. I want this and that to stop so I can pray better. So I can do according to God's will. Whatever the righteous person prays for, it always it is always with a view for exalting God and honoring his word, honoring what the Bible teaches. I pray, God, that you stop this program so I could live according to biblical teaching, so I can learn more about the Bible, so I can know that you know, I can live according to God's will. The productiveness. In James 5.16, it reveals that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. What did Elijah's prayer produce? First, it affected the rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain in Israel. Then after this, Elijah prayed again, and God sent rain. This brought blessing to the land of Israel. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her full. The land was once again fruitful. Elijah's prayer not only affected the rain, but it also affected revival. The reason that Elijah prayed again and the rain came down was the revival that took place in Mount Carmel. And that's in First Kings 18. 
The drought drove the people to their knees. The show of God's power at Mount Carmel revealed that God is the true God. The people responded with repentance and a return to God. Therefore, God sent rain. The prayer of a righteous man, of a righteous person, can bring both physical and spiritual blessing. Elijah prayed and God sent rain. Elijah prayed and God sent revival. His praying affected both the physical and spiritual needs of people. It is always this way with the prayers of the righteous. The prayers of the righteous can unleash either physical, material, or spiritual blessings in the lives of others. Remember that the prayers of the righteous do avail much. Prayer is crucial for revival. The revival on Mount Camel had its foundation in the praying of Elijah. His scriptural praying paved the way for God's reviving work. Genuine revival is born and unleashed in prayer. We have a living example of this in the life of Elijah. You've heard it said. You've probably said it yourself. Nevertheless, I hope and pray that you will see afresh that prayer paves the way for revival. We must see God for revival. Revival means a change of heart. We must see God so we can change. We can be what God wants us to be. We must persist in pleading for his work of revival in our lives, our churches, and our nation. We meet, meaning we, we, or we must ask God to continually uh, give us the spirit to ask for revival, for actual change, for growing. In 1 Kings 18.39, it offers us insight on how to pray for revival. Elijah prayed, Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and thou hast turned their heart back again. This was what he prayed. This teaches us how to pray for revival. We must ask that people will know that the Lord is God. They must come to a fresh understanding of God and his lordship. We must also pray that the hearts of the people will be turned back to him. We must plead that people will turn from their sin. Mm and idols to God, worshiping God, loving him, serving him, and obeying him. Spiritual needs are primary. Israel needed revival because it needed rain. Elijah prayed first for a return to God and then his blessing. So first he, he asked God, you know, I'm in this sinful city. He was saying, this is a, this city is sinful. He didn't just say, God, I need, you know, I need the rain or, or I need the drought. He said, no to teach these people that you're in charge, please, God, show, do something supernatural with the weather. Elijah prayed first for a return to God and then his blessing. While it's important to pray about the physical, material needs of others, our primary praying should focus on their spiritual needs. This is a blessing for me. And then for all T.I.s. We don't just want to come out, Lord God, break the TI program down, stop the shaking. No, we want to pray that we learn the spiritual things that we're supposed to learn so that when this TI program is broken, we are lined up with the assignment God has put on our lives. So, you know, just praying for, for people to come out of a curse, to come out of a program, that's not what effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man is. The Bible tells us the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man is to pray about the physical, material needs of others, but the primary praying should focus on their spiritual needs. 
Lord, help all targeted individuals to grow spiritually so that they will know what to do with their lives when they're freed from this uh, insanity. Okay, praying for true faith in Jesus. The Word of God reveals to us that Jesus is the center of God's plan for salvation. Through Jesus Christ, God saves and accepts sinful people. Because of this, a person must trust in Christ and Christ alone. The following scripture prayers can assist us in praying for the lost concerning this. Father, I pray that all TIs will receive Christ, believing in his name and becoming a child of yours, according to John 1, 12. We pray... What happened to the prayer? Wait, wait, wait. All right, Father... You love this world so much that you gave your only begotten Son as the Savior. I ask that all T.I.s will believe in Jesus, that he, she might not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I plead that T.I.s will understand who Jesus is and will believe solely in him and worship him as Lord and Savior, pursuant to John 9.35. Father, I pray that T.I.s will believe and confess that Jesus Christ is God's Son who came into the world to save sinners. Father, teach the T.I.s that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only by coming to Christ can he, she, come to you. Open the T.I.s eyes to this so that they might genuinely trust Christ and come to know you as his Father, according to John 14:6. Father, I ask that T.I.s will believe in Jesus as the Son of God and that by believing in his name will have eternal life, 1 John 5:12. Holy Father, I plead that the T.I.s will believe with all their hearts that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, confessing him and following him in baptism and public confession, as is in Acts 8:37. Father, yeah, they align everything to a scripture. Father, I pray that T.I.s will confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and will believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, according to Romans 10.9. Father, I ask that grace of our Lord will be poured out on T.I.s abundantly, that they will be blessed along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, according to Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1.14. Father, I plead that T.I.s will trust in God's Son and will experience the assurance of salvation pursuant to 1 John 5.13. Father, you sent your Son into the world that whoever believes in him will be saved. I pray that T.I.s will believe in Jesus Christ, your Son, and will be saved from all sins, First John, according to 1 John 4.14. So, releasing God's power. Okay. Let me see. Okay. All right. We're going to stop there. Oh, no. Let's look at praying for protection. Learning to pray through the Psalms. Praying for protection. Psalms 141. Psalm 141 teaches us to pray for God's protection. What kind of protection do we need to pray for others and ourselves? Pray for protection from sinful speech. Psalms 141, 1-3. In this psalm, David finds himself under attack from ungodly people. Mm -hmm. That is so common. 
He is dogged and hounded by wicked people who intend to harm him. This reveals the urgency of his praying. He says, Lord, I cry. Lord, I cry unto thee. Make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. He sets forth his prayer to God. He knows that God and God alone can deliver him. He lifts his hands to the Lord in utter helplessness and dependence on God. What does David pray for? He he asks, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Harassed and under pressure, it would be easy for David to utter foolish, rash words. Yet he asks God to enable him to speak holy and right words. He desires to be delivered from sinful speech, speech that would not glorify God. Pray that God will help you guard your speech, especially when provoked. Well, I have to do that. Yeah, people pluck my nerve. I can really lay it on them. So, I mean, yeah. Pray that you can confess your inability to control your speech. Ask God to help you develop a holy dependence on God through prayer. Prayer for protection from sinful seduction. Psalms 141, 4-7. Not only does David want protection from sinful speech, he longs for protection from evil influence. Evil comes in many ways. It attacks us in different ways. First, he asks for protection from the flesh, incline not my heart to any evil thing. He understands that he cannot conquer the flesh on his own. He pleads for God's help in the daily battle against his flesh. Second, he pleads with God to deliver him from the evil influence of others to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity and let me not eat their dainties. Psalms 141.4. In this section, David acts for righteous people. He understands that he cannot conquer the flesh on his own. He pleads for God's help in the daily battle against his flesh. Second, he pleads with God to deliver him from the evil influence others to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity and let me not eat their dainties. In this section, David asks for righteous people to confront him and correct him. He wants rebuke from the godly rather than encouragement from the wicked. His heart was tender to hear and respond to correction. If we are to resist temptation and the seduction of the world, we must have hearts that are tender and open to the correction of God's word, whether through preachers, teachers, family, or friends. Pray that God will help us confront and overcome the desires of the flesh. Ask God to empower us through prayer and the word to resist its sinful desires. Ask God to cause us to hate the deeds of the wicked. Mm. Plead that you will not allow these things to become a part of your life. Yield ourselves to the preaching and teaching of God's word. David says in the Psalms that the words of the righteous are like excellent oil. This refers to anointing oil, which was helpful and refreshing. Pray that God's word will be helpful and refreshing to you as you hear it and respond to it even though it corrects you. Pray for protection from sinful snares, Psalms 141, 7 through 10. David closes his prayer with a plea for protection from the snares of the wicked. Those who do not know God's love, God, love to see God's people sin and fall. They labor to put snares in the path of God's people. That means they put evil people put these booby traps just to keep you 
not doing what God wants you to do. Psalms 149 records this plea for this. At the same time, he prays that the Lord will boomerang on the heads of the wicked that they have spoken with their lips. Psalms 149. We are to pray with we are to pray that people will taste the bitter consequences of sin that they might repent and turn to God. No matter what, we must fix our eyes on God. Psalms 141.8. The darker the times, the more you must fix your focus on God. How do we overcome the snares of the enemy? We fix our focus on God asking for deliverance from the sinful snares and praying for those who persecute us. We should regularly pray for deliverance from the snares that our enemy Satan sets for us. We must express our confidence in God, Psalms 141.8. He alone is able to defend and protect us. We must trust in him and confess that trust in him. Yeah, that's very good, especially for T.I.s. A lot of T.I.s get us discouraged. That's the prayer closet encouraging and equipping believers. Now, briefly, we're going to take a look at another interesting article here. Any questions? Let me see. Any questions? Um, mm-hmm. okay. Let's take a look. This one was very interesting. Oh, they messed up that page. It's not there. Okay. Let's see if we have it here. The prayer closet. All right, dealing with curses, hex, and spells. And that TI program is a curse. They give a very nice diagram here. Let me go over the diagram. The origin of blessings and curses. Blessings. They Effort yields good results. That means whatever you do, you're going to have good results when you're blessed. Blessing. Effort yields proportionate results. Life starts out average or good. It means your first job, you're making good money. You just got a fair chance. Life starts out very good. Life gets better with work. You're working and now you're making more money and you're doing things to build the kingdom of God. Hardship is often avoided. Fruitfulness, you're having children, you have family. Multiplication, you multiply, money is multiplying, and you have dominion. You have authority over uh, all of everything God said that we're to have authority over. That's when you are living in the blessing. And these are the, the origin of blessings and curses. Now, when you know you're in a curse, which is a TI program, there's constant hardship, random outcomes. You don't know the outcomes no matter how correct you are, no matter what you do. You just, they're random outcomes. Effort achieves little. Whatever you do, you may not get much, you know. Uh, life never gets better. Ooh, that's horrible. That's under a curse, though. Constant frustration, barren, unproductive, defeated, and powerless. That is the life of the TI curse program. The origin of blessings and curses is found in the book of Genesis. The first blessing is upon the living creatures which were told to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1.22. When God made mankind, he also blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. And he added a third blessing, have dominion over 
these three basic blessings, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over, form the basis of all future blessings. That means the Bible tells us how to be blessed. When you start out in your life, it tells us, you know, you want to be blessed, be fruitful, meaning have a lot, give a lot. Multiply, have multiply. Have children, have family. Help people. Multiply your wealth. Multiply your good on this earth. And it tells us the third thing is to have dominion over. Have power over. Be the head, not the tail. All right, those are, that's the basis of all future blessings, such as the Abrahamic blessing and their reversal forms, the basis of all future curses such as those in Genesis 3. Let's look at this a little bit further. Fruitfulness is the ability to joyfully express your inner nature and feel that what you are doing is truly creative, worthwhile, and significant. Its opposite is pain in creation, especially barrenness. Multiplication is exponential increase, increasing 2468, uh, multiplication is a huge increase in productivity for a small increase in effort. That's when you know you're blessed. You're not putting much product, much, much, much hard work, but you're being blessed. It's opposite. When you're cursed, it's frustration and futility. Putting in a huge effort for little or no reward. That is a curse. Authority to rule over means dignity, headship, authority, the ability to be ascendant, to be the head, not the tail. Its opposite is being humble, to eat the dirt, to be crushed and humiliated, to be unable to rise. That is a curse. In Genesis 3, we see the first curses in operation. The woman is made unfruitful, the man is made to work in futility, and the serpent is told he will eat the dirt. The three things that make life good are reversed. Life becomes unbearable. Thus, when we are cursed, we find life very difficult indeed. No matter how hard we try to rise, we never quite make it. Time and time, we get to the brink of success only to have it snatched away. Curses can affect health, particularly reproductive health. They can affect earning power. T.I.s, listen carefully. can affect earning power, blacklisting. And they can affect your ability to have authority and command over our lives And people who are cursed may have to endure lifelong humiliation <clears throat> Lifelong If they don't make a change That's what they're saying there Okay The effects of curses and witchcraft As a missionary I can say that curses are real, and in some cases they are even lethal. Ezekiel talks of magic charms that haunted lives, Ezekiel 13:18. Curses are on the rise in Western culture as people dabble more and more in the occult and in organizations where people take secret oaths that invoke curses, such as the Masons. Mm. Emotionally, curses produce deep confusion and despair and an inability to think straight. There is not a lot of good literature on the topic of curses, and all such books need to be read critically and of subjective material carefully evaluated. Derek Prince's book, Curses and Blessings, is reasonable. Ed Murphy's chapter is good but gives no hint on how to break curses. And Francis Fragapane has some very good books on living in the place of protection 
from curses and spiritual attack. Mm. Now check that book out again. That's Francis Fregi Payne. Good, he has good books on living in the place of protection from curses and spiritual attack. On one hand, we do not want to acknowledge the reality of curses and to deal with them and to break them. On the other hand, we do not want to become overtly superstitious and fearing seeing curses everywhere. If your life is affected by sterility, barrenness, constant lack of success, and failure to gain any sort of ascendancy, no matter how hard you try, then a curse may be in operation. That's what the eyes. If you think this may be the case, then do some research on your life and family history and take the matter before God. The good news is that breaking curses can be surprisingly easy for Christians because we dwell under the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ. Curses have greatest power where the person who has been cursed has committed some great act of wickedness, such as involvement in the cult. The reverse is also true. Curses have little or no power over a righteous person, and Proverbs says that a curse without cause will not alight on the head of a righteous man. Curses may come upon us because of our own conduct, because of idolatry, worshiping things, worshiping statutes, you know, necklaces, all kinds of stuff, participation in the occult, prostitution, fornication, sexual immorality, or immorality, adultery, theft, injustice, direct defiant disobedience to God in an important area, and involvement in secret societies with rituals and vows. Curses may be aimed at you by others because of hatred, envy, greed, jealousy, the use of magic, spiritual conflict, and the desire for revenge. In some cases, parents curse their children, particularly the firstborn son, Mm-mm-mm. in order to attain power in a deal with Satan or his representative. This is said to occur in Masonic rituals. And I believe that happens and people don't realize it. But they made a pact with the devil and, you know, don't even realize it and then they're cursed. Scripture reveals a number of ways in which we can break curses and or be protected from them. Number one is live a righteous life free from major sin and acts of injustice. Abide in the righteousness of Christ where no curse can penetrate. Malachi 4.6, Proverbs 26.2. Put on the full armor of God in Ephesians 6.10, which is actually armor against spiritual attack. Ephesus was noted for its magic practices. That was the place they were noted for witchcraft, brujeria, whatever you want to call it, and its curses and witchcraft. The primary purpose behind Paul writing in the Ephesians was to say that they could have some understanding of their power, authority, and degree of protection in their pagan and occult city. The armor of God is like the Revelor of the spirit world protecting the Christian against curses, magic, and occult uh, practices. And that just means Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross to protect believers from curses and, and spells and things of that nature. God is able to turn a curse into a blessing. He did this when Balak tried to get Balaam to curse Israel, Nehemiah 13.2. A brief prayer by Jebez, 
that received a lot of popularity is a case of a person appealing to God to have a curse turned into a blessing and succeeding. David is particularly bold when he says in Psalms 109 where he seems to have been the victim of a curse. Let them curse, but you bless. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let your servant rejoice. David did not fear the curse, but instead asked God to bless him and outdo the curse, and then to turn the curse back on those who uttered it. God can outbless the most fearsome and disabling curses. It gives us hope that our prayers to God based on the same name of Jesus Christ can not only break curses, but have them turned into blessings instead. Understand and plead the fact that Christ has taken all the curses due to us when he became a curse on the cross, Galatians 3.10. When he was on the cross, he got beat down. Those were the curses there. He did it for the world. In Christ, that ground for curses to succeed against us is removed because on the cross, Jesus became a curse for us, and he took all the cursing that may have been due to us due to our violation of God's laws. Break association with the sins of parents and ancestors, particularly those involving the occult or idolatry. Don't do it, dummy. That's it. Leave the occult, idolatry, witchcraft, psychics, all of that alone. Exodus 34:67 says, such sins bring a curse. You want to mess with witchcraft? You want to mess with occult stuff? You want to worship items, have idolatry? Exodus 34, verses... <coughs> Six and seven, <coughs> excuse me, says those sins will bring a curse to the third and fourth generation. We have to break ties with such sins by not participating in occult ceremonies that may be traditional and even confessing such involvement of our parents and ancestors and forsaking them in a prayer of renunciation to God. The essential thing is to make a clear break with familial sin in your own heart mind and spirit. Get rid of objects that bring a curse, particularly objects associated with pagan worship, idolatry, or the occult. For instance, if we have our grandmother's pack of tarot cards, we need to get rid of those cards. Deuteronomy 7.25. The Ephesian converts were moved by the Holy Spirit to, to burn their magic scrolls and occult objects. Do not engage in secretive or dishonest sins that you think you can get away with unobserved. In Deuteronomy 27, verses 15 to 26, certain sins are singled out as bringing a curse, notably the making of idols. All right, this says in Deuteronomy, it is clear, Deuteronomy 27, verses 15 to 26, it tells us that certain sins uh, are singled out for bringing curses. Notably, these sins include idolatry, Incest, bestiality, treating parents with contempt, injustice against migrants, widows, the disabled, or the poor, hiring a contract killer, and moving your neighbor's landmark or boundary stone. Most of these are crimes that would never be tried in court because of the secret nature of the crimes, the lack of two or three eyewitnesses willing to testify, or the difficulty of, pro of proving of proving of the case such as my word against your case the curse was God's way of making sure that such secret crimes do not go unpunished wow 
people knew that if they did these things, God would repay. Even in the New Testament, God is referred to as the one who punishes those who defile the marriage bed, 1 Thessalonians 4.4. If you have done any of the things in the above list, them in the above list, then repentance, restoration, and an earnest appeal to God for mercy would be a good starting point in breaking the curse over one's life. Curses can alight where there is deep abiding injustice against an ethnic group. Saul's bloodthirsty massacre of the Gibeonites, which lay uncorrected for years, later resulted in a curse and famine in the time of David. Second Samuel 21 tells us that there was famine in the days of David for three years. For three years, year after year, David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. David broke this curse by going back to the Gibeonites, humbly asking how they would like to see justice done and then enacting it. After ten of Saul's sons were hung, the famine ended. Second Samuel. <clears throat> Excuse me, Second Samuel 21, 1 through 14. Slackness in ministry can result in a curse. The priests in Malachi were under a curse because of their slackness in God's work. And I, I tell you, I try my best. I get here late and I feel bad. But that'll get you a curse, too. You're a minister and you're not working at optimal level. And the prophet Jeremiah cries out, Curse be he who is lacking do, doing the Lord's work. If you're in ministry, do the work of the Lord diligently and obey his specific instructions if you have been given such instructions. Put God's interests ahead of your own. In the book of Haggai, God puts a curse on the nation for being self-centered and neglectful of their duty to God. The curse is removed when the people obey the prophets and lay the foundation on the Lord's temple and, it, and a blessing is given instead. There are over 200 verses on curses in Scripture, and the above just list, uh, uh, touches on some of the main causes and their remedies. Basically, a curse can only alight on an area that God has already judged as being worthy of a curse, such as incest, idolatry, or murder. Most curses generally last only three to four generations. That's far enough though some have lasted since creation. Repentance from sin, breaking ties with the occult, and taking refuge in Christ has become a curse for us and are the main strategies we can use to break curses. Part of this is putting on the whole arm of God, which is designed to protect us from curses leveled against us in the course of spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6, 10, 8. When the curse is lifted, then the human spirit has been affected by the curse and and been bowed bowed down with pain, confusion, and futility will be quickly healed. The person will recover, and emotional normalcy should resume. A prayer to lift the curse. If you think you're a T.I., if you think that you're a T.I. and that your life may have been affected by a curse, then gather with a small group, and that means we need some praying T.I.s. And we can come together and they give us ample prayer. We come in the name and authority of Jesus Christ to deal with curses pronounced over the lives of targeted individuals. 
God, we ask the protection of the blood of Jesus Christ as we pray and we bind the activity of any evil spirits in Jesus' name. We claim the full armor of God from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. We confess the sins of our parents and ancestors of all T.I.s that may have given ground for a curse to align the him or her. And we renounce that those idolatry, witchcraft, murder, whatever sins they have. We claim the forgiveness and cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ and now assert that no ground remains for a curse to affect the lives of targeted individuals. We assert that targeted individuals have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus far beyond the reach of curses, Ephesians 1.20. We renounce the curse and all its effects, effects associated, the secrecy curse, all of everything associated with the targeted individual program. We break the curse and all its powers in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We plead the blood of the cross on behalf of targeted individuals and say that Christ has taken all his her curses on the cross, according to Galatians 3.10. In accordance with the scriptures and the will of God, we pull down and destroy any strongholds in targeted individuals' lives, 2 Corinthians 10.4. And we destroy the works of the devil and turn back the curses and all effects of witchcraft, destroying them in, 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 destroying them in the cross of Christ. We pray for the restoration and blessing of all targeted individuals in accordance with scriptures, especially Ephesians 1.3 that says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We pray for the blessings of Abraham that are, out, that are ours in Christ, according to Galatians 3.8. We pray to be appropriated by targeted individuals and given, and given them in abundance. We especially pray for the blessings, for the blessings to give to to give into all humans at creation that of fruitfulness, multiplication and dominion. We outbless all the effects of the curse and by the power of God we turn the curse into a blessing. We ask Jesus to minister to all the places and targeted individuals lives that the devil has cursed. We ask for the healing of the body, mind and spirit and restoration of life and a just fear and blessed prosperity in Jesus name. Amen. And note, you may need to say that prayer a few times, but this author says he's seen it work and bring peace to many. Get him out that TI program. Okay. All righty. Um, we're going to close there. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this reading on the prayer closet. We thank you, God, for clarity and understanding that the righteous, that the fervent prayers of the righteous avail as much. We thank you, God, for teachings on better praying mechanisms. When we pray, we can't just ask for what we want. It must be aligned to the will of God. To the advancement of the kingdom of God, it must be aligned to biblical teaching, to the Bible. So we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, for being able to pray. We thank you, God, for breaking curses, Heavenly Father, turning curses into blessings, turning frustration into abundance for people. God, we thank you that you're opening the windows of heaven and turning things around, but above and beyond just turning things around and removing people from the curse of the targeted individual program, God, you're giving them the spiritual knowledge they need to succeed in life, which goes above and beyond being taken out of any program. 
God, we thank you that what the devil meant for bad, that you will use for good. And what the devil thought was a curse can bring out great character development, maturity, discipline. We thank you, God, that we've learned to close loopholes. The devil can't just come in certain ways because of this program. God, we just thank you and praise you that you're moving wind, that you're moving things around, that you're growing us up, that you're showing us how to reach the destiny you created us for despite the obstacles. So, God, not only that we ask for the dismantling of the targeted individual program, but according to your will, that each and every person that was put in this will be the person that you created them to be and that they'll move further in their spiritual development. Heavenly Father, we give you all the praise, we give you all the glory, and we thank you, God, for this time we had together. Amen, amen, and amen. Any questions? Okay.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.